Hey, you guys want to hear a funny joke? Yes. Yep. I bet my butcher, he couldn't reach the meat on the top shelf and he refused to bet me. He said the stakes were too high. I, I'm not laughing. I'm not going to laugh at that. Uh, come on, man. Oh that was a good one. One that, of these days, I'm going to get a laugh out of you guys. That was real bad. Man, the stakes that was, are too- that was one of the worst ones. Yeah, this is episode five. That's probably the worst yeah, one. So far. Okay. But it's okay. It's that joke. All right, good. Progress. The jokes are getting worse. Welcome, everybody, to the Never Going Pro podcast by Dads Inside Riding Trainers featuring GC Coaching. It's a podcast about riding bikes and parenthood and trying really, really hard at both. I'm your host, Ken the Badger Nowell, and with me is Shane Gaffney, owner of GC Coaching. Hey, guys. And Chris Gorney, fellow dirt teammate, passionate cyclist, and outstanding dad. Hello. So let's take a few minutes to catch up with everybody. So how's everybody doing? Let's uh, start with you, Chris. Uh, I'm moving to California next Thursday. So my life is uh, tumultuous at best. Great word. There you go. I was a little afraid of messing that word up on a podcast. Well, I I hope you're excited about it. I mean, certainly you're in either what, Kansas City or Missouri? Kansas City, Missouri, Kansas? Missouri, but I don't like to talk about the Missouri part. Okay, gotcha. Uh, Shane, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm tired. My six-month-old is not sleeping mm. through the night consistently, so she's starting to slowly, I think, kill us. But <laughs> otherwise, I'm doing great, man. That's good. That's good. <laughs> Business think, is good. I think that gets. I think that just gets worse till they're all 18. They're just gonna slowly and slowly kill you. I think that's true too. <laughs> What's well, my two? My almost three-year-old now. He sleeps like a champ. He can go down. And sleep like 14 hours straight. And he's been doing that since he was probably three months old. So this is a little bit different for us. Just being six months, almost seven months and still not really sleeping totally. Um, but yeah, business is great, man. Crushing it. So good. I'm happy. You're crushing it. I'm helping other people crush it. That's it, man. Helping it. I love it. What about you, Ken? What's up with you, man? So I have been dealing with this ongoing back injury. Um, I injured it and then re-injured it trying to jump off of a high dive and then uh i'm finally (laughs) they still have high dives in some areas right you can't just gloss so i was in green i was in greensboro at the country islands what were you doing and i tried to do something called a preacher seat which throws an even bigger splash than a can opener and it jacked up my back um but i've been going to the chiropractor (laughs) and the physical therapist and doing yoga every morning can you describe what a preacher seat is? So basically you lean back just like a can opener and you cover your face, but both legs are sticking out and you stick your bottom into the water first and it makes an epic splash. So is that like a cannonball? It's more like a can opener, but with both legs extended and your wow. hands covering your face. Yeah, it's awesome like when you do it right. Oh, I see what Clearly your doctors, your doctors and chiropractors think it's awesome. Yeah, it's keeping them in business. That's that's why they love it so much. Uh, hey, didn't you didn't you do a FTP test yesterday? I did an FTP test and finally broke the three hundred mark. Uh, oh that was a gosh. lot of fun. So we did a group FTP test called Last Man Standing. You can find it on YouTube on the Dad's Inside Riding Trainers page. And so the way it worked is we all did a countdown. We started the ramp test at the same time. And since we were on a flat road, it kept us all together. And just one by one, riders started falling off the back. Who won? You or Jason? 
I beat Jason. Yes. Nice. That's the, that's the most important thing. I can't stand that guy. <laughs> it's the two, it's yeah. like the two, two of the main founders of Dirt going head to head. You know, yeah. Pick your camp. Are you a Jason hey. man or are you the Badger fan? Yeah, it's, it's, you can't like us both. So I beat him by about seven watts. I think he got 295. I got 302. I made it just past the, I just completed the 400 watt interval. And when I hit 420, I fell apart. Mm. Mm. As many do. So as many do. Let's, let me not be that guy, but I'm going to be that guy. So okay. I would argue you didn't find your FTP. You found what your max aerobic power was yes. because you did a mm. ramp test. He just, called, he just called your effort trash. <laughs> I, did, I didn't want to be that guy. But <laughs> that's what we, we talk should talk about that, that I think, that. for sure. Because a, a ramp test is a great way to judge what your max aerobic power is. Okay. Um, or, you know, like VO2 max, things like that. But a true FTP test should be a lot longer, okay. like 20 to 30 minutes, ideally. And then if it's a 20-minute test, you should ideally do some kind of, you know, kind of burnout effort. Like I think Zwift uses the three or five-minute, uh, 115% effort before because you're trying to decrease your anaerobic contribution to the power produced. Mm. That's why... People have a ramp test and they have a super high FTP because it's being overinflated. That sounds like episode three or four repeat right there. We talked like about that a little bit. Yeah. We, we, we briefly talked about it, I think, in episode two. So I do have a question. So as long as I'm being – like whenever I set up a new training plan, I've been using the same – well, using a ramp test to set my numbers. Is, is that good enough or – Am I at a serious disadvantage for having doing being done that way? I mean, personally, I I wouldn't use a ramp test. I think you're doing yourself a disservice because you're training off of an almost vanity FTP, okay, instead of a true FTP. Uh, so I think, yeah, personally, I think you're doing a disservice. But that's also why um, things like sweet spot training, I think, have been really successful because sweet spot is 88 to 93% FTP. Okay. And I've noticed that ramp tests tend to overestimate FTP by like five to 10% sometimes. So by training at sweet spot, you're actually training closer to thresholds. Mm. So that that gives me a couple of thoughts. One, he just basically demolished your, I finally broke 300 on my FTP. So that means you're actually like 285. If, if even. I think like I think like two twenty two thirty even. Metric, you're, ta- you're talking in you're talking kilometers an hour, right? I mean, metric, possibly even, yeah. Well, man, that sucks. But that's what I mean. So, like, I don't want to be that guy. Well, but hey, so but seriously, I Ken and I were having a text conversation yesterday because I was eating lunch and he was hating his job, and we. uh he, I was talking about doing an FTP test with them, and I told him I didn't want to do it because I like I'm always afraid that I'm not going to be as strong as I want to be and or as I feel. And I've always kind of felt FTP is kind of like a measuring contest. Like it, it's never really felt very relevant because I've had many a time I've been I've done like a ramp test, and then I've been on a training plan, and it just it either felt too easy or too hard. And I ended up like messing with my FTP until it felt appropriately difficult. Um, 
I, I, I say I've probably never gone through a training plan without messing with my FTP a little bit if it's been based off of a ramp test. Yeah. So that's interesting to think about. So really, FTP ramp tests are trash. So no, they're not. They're tr they're trash for testing FTP, but they're not trash for testing which a max aerobic power is, which is important to understand too. So. Like when I, when I do FTP testing for my athletes, I test them in a one minute and a five minute and then in a 20 minute power last. So I'm getting what their anaerobic capacity is at the one minute. I'm getting close to what their VO2 max is in the five minute. And then I'm getting ideally what their FTP is in the 20 minute. But the key is the FTP test is last when their anaerobic capacity will ideally be diminished. So it won't be just anaerobically fueled. So just to throw out like, account. Go ahead. I was going to say, because th threshold, at least threshold, the way I understand it, is it's the point where exercise intensity, when the energy source your body is using to fuel the activity, changes significantly. Mm. That's, I think, a better way to understand what threshold is. Because FTP, I mean, it's been debunked plenty of times now. It's not 95% of a 20-minute maximal power test. It's not your normalist power for an hour. It's not your highest power for an hour. Because then you have to figure out what your FTP is and then secondarily what your time to exhaustion is after the FTP, which we talked about as well in previous episodes. Right. So FTP is very hard to, I guess, nail down to one or two things. It's, it's a very multifaceted thing. Right. And so we're, the new thing is using computers to model all this stuff for you. Yeah. I use WKO to do that modeling for me. Very cool. Um, and you can also use like exert and other stuff like that to do that as well. Very, very cool. Uh, there, you know, one thing that amazes me is when you look at the tools that we have now can, uh, versus what the pro cyclists were using in 2000, the pro cyclists in 2000 would be killing to use the tools that any amateur could set themselves up with for about a thousand bucks. Absolutely. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And I think that one of the, the, the reasoning that the trainer road guys use the ramp test is that they want something that is repeatable every cycle that you're not going to dread to do. And so I kind of get where they're coming from there a little bit as well. I was going to say, I agree with that because I hate, I hate the 20 minute ramp. I hate the 20 minute FTP test. Everybody hates it. It's literally the worst thing you do ever because it just feels, you know, bad. Bad, yeah. And so, I mean, I love the idea of something that is shorter and easier, and, you know, just grit your teeth. But, but even that, I wonder, like, I mean, I the group of guys I ride with, there's always this discussion about power versus strength. And, you know, we've got a bunch of guys who are a little bit bigger, and we hit these quick descents, and they've got so much power, and they just, you know, plus, <laughs> uh, you know, power to weight ratio going down hills. Uh, pretty pretty good for them and they uh fly down these short hills and pass the lighter guys but then we get on these longer descents you know two three mile descents at like three percent and they just run out of gas um and i kind of think about that with the ftp ramp test versus the 20 minute test like you can almost just like grit your teeth and force an ftp like higher number for the for the ramp test but then the ftp the actual 20 minute test to me is like that's like just a deeper pain, a much deeper pain. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I dread doing that more. And one thing that I will say is the way that we did it the other day where there was like five or six guys doing it together, 
it really was a lot of fun. It was just like, you know, I'm going to hold on just long enough to drop that guy. And so, you know, it, it, it was a, a good time. It, I think it was repeatable. So I think that what we can do is just say that everything's going to have an advantage and disadvantage. And depending on how seriously you're into training and how accurate you need that number to be, um, it's going to make a, a difference in what type of testing you need to do as an athlete. And then please make your FTP tests longer. Gotcha. <laughs> That's what I would say. Uh, okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. So let's go ahead and move on. Um, this week, we had some great crowdsource questions from Dads Inside Riding Trainers. And the first topic that we, uh, the, the, the one that hit the top of the queue with the most votes was a discussion about post-workout recovery routines and how to get um, the best recovery in when you are limited on time. Is that a pretty accurate description? Of what we're going to be looking into today, Shane. Yeah, he kind of said, you know, optimal post recovery routines when you're already pressed to finish the workout. So I think like post workout recovery routines on a time budget or when time crunched. I think I would look at it that way. Got it. Now, did this include nutrition and off the bike training, such as stretching? I would think so. Yeah. So I took a deep dive into the nutrition aspect of things. And then we have, I know, a special guest who will talk about more of the stretching and mobility type stuff off the bike. That sounds good. Who is like, what's his name? I can't remember his name. Sorry. Uh, his name, maybe you can fill that in. Yeah. Yeah. His name is Christopher Schwanker and he is a physical therapist. Yep. Schwanker. <laughs> That's really his name. Schwanker. It's, it's just a name you have to say again and again. It's a. You know what it is. It's a. Is he a combination doctor? of Doctor Schwanker. Schwing and wanker. <laughs> I'm editing not, this all out because I don't want. I don't want to butcher him. But nah, man, he's Schwanker. He, he loves. He loves uh, being called the Schwanker. So I, I don't think he's going to be offended by this at all. The Schwanker. That's hilarious. Yeah. I just, I just, I mean, all I can think of is Wayne's World now. Of course. All I can yeah. Swing. <laughs> That's part of the podcast right here. So why don't we, before I get all nitty gritty, why don't you talk, talk to me about what you were, what your guy's typical post, post uh, workout routine is. Like, what do you do? Why don't you yeah. start, Chris? Okay. Oh. So, uh, all right, I'll go, I'll go ahead and start. So as soon as, <laughs> as soon as I'm off the bike, I come into the house and I almost always eat the exact same thing, which is two packets of instant grits, two eggs, uh, made into an omelet with four ounces of ham and a slice of American cheese and ketchup on it. Okay. Remind me, what are, what are grits again? <laughs> it's uh it's what, red, it's, it's what rednecks eat from the south it is a very <laughs> it's a redneck meal between the american cheese the ketchup on the eggs it's a really good <laughs> traditional southern breakfast grits are made out of corn um that have been soaked in lye to remove the um shell okay so it's wow. kind of like uh oatmeal very similar to oatmeal yeah yeah, uh, okay. I didn't. I've never really liked grits to begin with, and now actually hearing the description of it, I want them less. Well, you guys don't so know what you're missing. Lie. So good, yeah. <laughs> Soaked in lie. It's so strange, man. So it's about a 550 calorie meal, um, 
I think is about 40% carbohydrate, 30% fat, 30% protein or thereabouts. And uh, that's usually on top of drinking Gatorade while I'm on the bike and usually have a banana before I ride. Mm, Got that's a good conversation about sugar structure in drinks. Because yes. I am very, I'm actually wildly against Gatorade. Mm. So that's maybe a different podcast. Well, Chris, tell us about what you eat. Uh, yeah, when I get done riding, um, it honestly changes a little bit. It, it depends on uh, three things. One, how hard did I ride? Two, is my daughter awake yet? And three, <laughs> uh, what food we have in the house? Because um, I am the guy who, when my wife, if she's doing the grocery shopping that week, she'll go, hey, what do you want from the store? And I'll go, oh, I don't care, whatever. And then I'll actually have opinions later that I forgot to express. So. I kind of just uh, deal with what's in the house. Um, ideally, like if I if I ride pretty hard, I'll, I'll come in and I'll um, I'll usually have a banana, and then I will uh, make a couple eggs on a piece of toast with some Trader Joe's everything seasoning and some mm. Irish butter mm. in the pan. That's not so good. And, yep, and so kind of getting sugars, uh, and then you know sugars, which again form of carbohydrates, actual carbohydrates, and then protein from the eggs. Um, I'll either mix it up with two egg whites and then one full egg or just two full eggs, um, knowing that the protein from the uh, egg whites is not processed as well without actually yolk as well, um, I have learned and read. But then if I've worked out really, really hard, I'll actually have like a half a PB&J. Oh, uh, that sounds good. Yeah, so I, I'm I'm a big proponent of like uh, RPE workouts and just general nutrition, like listening to your body. So I, I kind of really um, try to listen to my body as silly and granola as that sounds. Like I feel like I can kind of feel when I need sugar or feel when I need protein. Um, and so it kind of changes a little bit. I make all the jokes about donuts and stuff, but I actually don't do that. Like I don't come in and just eat like a short carbohydrate. So Shane, what do you, what do you usually do for your post-workout nutrition, Shane? I usually do a recovery uh, shake, which is typically a weight gainer shake. Okay. So I use uh, Optimum Nutrition Pro Gainer right now. Depending on how hard the work it is, I also just might use an Ultrogen, which is a, I guess a less um, less calorically less everything compared to a weight gainer. Because um, it's interesting, like the more I talk to athletes, the more I feel like they're under fueling. And the underfueling, I think, is resulting in a decreased adaptation and just overall performance too. Mm. Um, which I'll kind of get into with the the research I have to kind of back that up too. Um, but yeah, usually that's what I'll do. I'll get off the bike. I'll make a re uh, actual recovery shake within you know typically half an hour afterwards, and then I'll eat my normal diet. Otherwise, I was gonna say that's one of the things in the kind of research you sent out to us in the past few days, talking about like your diet and tell me if I'm paraphrasing this wrong, but your diet right off the bike is not, you know, less than 90 minutes of working out. Typically your diet off the bike is not as important or right off the bike. Your nutrition isn't as important if you're actually fueling like an athlete the rest of the day. Is that accurate? exactly? Yeah. So that's totally right. So that's, that's kind of in a nutshell when we can talk about it the next 10 minutes or whatever. Um, Cause the question was, you know, what's the <laughs> optimal thing to do after your ride? And my response is the it's what you do after the ride, I think is the least important thing. I think what you do the other twenty three hours of the day or twenty two hours of the day is more important. Um, 
Because if you're entering a workout in an underfueled situation, you're going to perform you know, less than you would ideally. And then if you need to really recover after the workout, you've done something wrong during the day or over the course of the day. Mm. So let me just kind of get into, I guess I broke it down into carbohydrates are, I think, the most important part for any endurance athlete. And I know the keto and all kinds of stuff is becoming really popular and probably going to get some comments on that, which is fine. We can talk about that in another episode. But for performance and for high intensity. I would love to talk about that in another for sure. episode. Um, but for performance and for high intensity training, you need carbohydrate to actually do what you need to do. So at Burke and Cantor, and I'm going to link all this research to the posts to the, um, the show notes as well. So Burke and Cantor, they have a daily requirement that most endurance athletes should get. So you're talking five to seven grams of carbohydrate per kilo per day for lower intensity or just everyday maintenance days. 7 to 10 grams per kilo for moderate to more intense days. And then the really crazy days, and we're talking like, you know, world tour kind of stuff, it's 12 plus grams per kilo for those days. Wow. So I'd say most athletes should be in the 5 to 8 grams per kilo day. So if you're if you're training very intensely. So just to put some numbers to that, say you're uh, 70 kilograms or roughly 150 pound male it's 70, uh, it's seven grams per kilogram a day. That'd be seven times seven, be how, how 490. 490. Um, wow, that's a lot. That seems, you know, it's a lot of it carbohydrate. It is a lot of carbohydrate. Yep. So it's 55 to 65% of your daily caloric needs should be from carbohydrate based on the research that I read and that I've kind of learned. So carbohydrate, high carbohydrate diet for intense training and for performance is important. For weight loss, it's a total opposite, I think, approach. Um, and that's where things like keto and intermittent fasting and that kind of stuff comes into play. But for performance, carbohydrates are crucial. Okay. And so one thing that people got seemed to get really dogmatic a number of years ago about you need to be drinking your shake with so much protein and carbohydrates within minutes of getting off the bike or you're screwed. And, you know, like I said, it was people were really dogmatic about that. And now it's sounding like that's not so much the case um, that uh, your glycogen stores are being uh, replenished throughout the day unless you don't really need to worry about that crucial window minutes after the workout unless you're going to be doing a double workout that day or something along those lines. Right. Exactly. Yeah, I'll link. Uh, so Aragon did a nutrient timing revisited article, which I'll link to the show notes okay. too. And he goes into that carbohydrate window, which is what it was coined. So the carbohydrate window was supposed to be 30 to 60 minutes after your workout. You wanted to consume about 0.3 to 0.5 grams of protein per kilo with 1 to 1.5 grams of carbohydrate per kilo to aid in absorption. Mm. That's been a little, that hasn't been, I shouldn't say it's been debunked completely, but there is some research that says now, as long as you are feeding your body and you are doing all the things correct, within 24 hours, your glycogen stores should be right back to where they were before. So what you do, again, to kind of, to, to push this point further home, what you do right after the workout isn't that important as long as you're doing stuff right the other times of the day. What I love about this is what we're really telling people is, and I should be clear, we're talking about performance and not weight loss. 
so we're talking about the guys who's they're already pretty fit. They're within five to ten pounds of their ideal weight. You know, weight's not a concern. Those things all being true, we're saying, hey, like cycling's the best sport in the world because you can kind of like encourage you to have a beer at the end of the ride. Like it encourages you to like enjoy some you know healthy carbohydrates, especially in a world where everyone's saying you know carbs are bad, keto good, carbs bad, like. I kind of love it. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, I actually actually will have those chips with my my meal. Thank you. Um, now you know eating healthy, but like, and I agree with what you're saying. Is when I um, got out of certain circles that were almost dogmatic, like again dogmatic about uh, the paleo diet or don't eat any grains, and and sort of got away from that uh -huh. universe, um, and started enjoying a big bowl of rice and noticed that I got significantly leaner, my performance on the bike got better. And so I think that we're really speaking to two different audiences here. Um, in the ethos of what we wanted to do with this whole podcast being never going pro, which is simplifying things and saying, guys, it's going to be okay if you don't eat X amount of carbs and protein within 30 minutes of getting off your bike. You've got a little bit more wiggle room than that. Um, but when we look at our core audience, it's one, people trying to lose weight, and two, people trying to improve um, or get faster. So what do we do with the guys? So as far as the, the folks that are trying to lose the weight, where are we at with them? I think we should push that to another episode. I agree. Yeah, because that's going to be more about uh, energy deficits, um, you know, keto, carb, all that kind of stuff, fat fasting. That'll be more about that stuff. So I think we should push that off. So Shane, we've been kind of talking loosely and, you know, on our, on our kind of planning, you, you put everything into three categories of daily, during and post. And I think we really covered the daily, um, of, you know, the fact that, uh, if you're not trying to lose weight, um, you need to fuel like an athlete all day long regarding carbohydrates. And then afterwards, what you're eating doesn't matter as much, but we haven't really talked about during. So you posted some really cool art articles. There's a 2013 article and, and a couple of really interesting examples. Can you talk to us about during fueling? Because I have quite a few stories being in some Ironman races and some other races where I have quite literally seen people fall off their bikes, passing out from under fueling. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I know it's not usually that extreme, but I'd love to hear what the research says. Like even just as a normal dad, what can I do that doesn't require a professional degree or coach sure. to help me during my ride? Yeah. So I like to refer to Juke and Drip. Uh, he had an article in 2013, which I'll link to the show notes as well. Um, essentially, the, the shorter the workout is, the less important the fueling during is. And then you seem to get the breaking point. Once you get past two hours, that's when the fueling becomes more and more important. So he broke it down into 30 to 75 minute workouts. There really isn't any need for fueling. As long as I said before, you're getting your daily carbohydrate intake and your glycogen stores are full before you get on the bike. After 75 minutes to two hours, they recommend about 30 grams of carbohydrate per hour. Can you put that in terms of like, um, cause I think it's easy to say, you know, 30 grams per kilo or, the, or 30 grams per hour. Can you like, per hour. what kind of food, yeah, per hour, what, what kind of food would fit in those categories? Like make it stupid for me. Like that's like a power bar. That's a, you know what I mean? So power bar. Yeah. But I think better foods, like, so when you were, when you're eating off the bike, you want to have ideally complex carbohydrate. 
And when you're eating on the bike, I think simple is better or like more refined carbohydrate. So that way your so body can absorb it rapidly. Like on the bike, it would be a gel or a shop black or a date or something like that. Like a, a very easy to digest food. Typically, most of the um, carbohydrate is in 25 gram increments. So like if you look mm -hmm. at like a goo or a shop block or whatever, most serving sizes are around 25 grams. And the same thing with like a scratch bottle mix. It's about 25 grams of carbohydrate. So most of the time, it's easy to break it down into one bottle or one gel or one shot block or whatever. It's about 25 grams of carbohydrate. So you can break it down easily. So if you're aiming for 30 grams an hour, it should be one bottle of mix or one bottle of mix plus one gel, which is 50 grams an hour, or one bottle of mix plus two gels, which is 75 per hour. You can kind of break it up that can way. I, can I ask, have you ever seen someone on a bike pull out a packet of dates and start eating them? I do all the time, for sure. Seriously? You, yeah. you pull out some like nice Turkish dates? Turkish dates, just... yeah. Really, really ripe dates okay. that are almost yeah, like gelatinous. I'm... So there's really little to know, you know? You're very, you're very classy, very classy cyclist. Wow, I never would have thought about that. Yeah, yeah, I would think on that with, you know, with the fire. <laughs> My my grits and American cheese. Um, so usually what I do when I'm on the bike is I drink about, once I hit about a half an hour, I'll start drinking Gatorade and for a, an hour to 90 minute workout, I'll drink about a half a bottle to a bottle of Gatorade, which is, you know, I think somewhere in line with that, uh, those guidelines that you were talking about. Yeah. And yeah, so for our audience, it's mostly going to be, you know, working parents, busy, busy. So 90 minutes or less is typically going to be the workout window. So really during the training itself, you don't really have to worry much about anything in terms of fueling aside from just keeping yourself hydrated and then what you do sure. before and afterwards is what matters. Um, so once you get over two hours, two to three hours, then you want to ideally consume about 60 grams per hour. Now you start to get into the tricky area of where you have to train your gut to absorb and so you don't get GI distress. And you can also use different forms of carbohydrate like fructose and glucose so different pathways of absorption in your gut so 60 grams an hour typically you can get away with just a one source just with glucose but once you get to two and a half hours plus that's when you ideally want to aim for about 90 grams per hour and that's when you want to have wow. multiple carbohydrate sources so fructose and glucose being the two most popular ones so a fruit and then a gel or whatever. Perfect. That's exactly what I was gonna say. Is give us examples of those. Both of those I can buy at the store. Yeah, yeah. So you can get like a fruit gel, or like you know you can get um, baby food in the uh, containers that you can fit in your in your jersey pocket to do those things, plus a gel or whatever. Just like yeah, not the glass ones. People. No, not the glass ones. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so that's I, I think that's interesting. Even just looking at this graph, it's like. And I feel this too. It's if you're going to go out and, you know, punch an hour and a half ride in the morning with some friends, no big deal. Wake up, eat a banana and go, uh, and then eat well when you get home. But it's the longer you ride, the more you need per consecutive hour. So if I, if I know I'm going to be riding three hours, I need to be fueling more hour one, hour two, and hour three to finish strong. Whereas if I know I'm only riding an hour and a half, there's much less maintenance that needs to happen. Is that kind of a, is that kind of a summary, simple, a simplified summary? Yeah, I think so. And that's why you see people 
kind of bonking at the end of an Ironman because they may have only consumed 30 to 45 grams per hour. But if you extrapolate that out into 10 plus hours, you know, not can have enough glycogen on board to fuel the effort and you're going to bonk and crash. Well, and I always like the comparison of like your body's like an endurance sports, your body's an engine. And if you keep it fueled properly and running right, you can go all day. And this is just kind of putting some numbers to that for me. So this is, I think this is really helpful. Yep. And then I think more, um, just kind of an, an offshoot and very interesting thing was the, which didn't really understand quite why this works, but I'm going to link a video to Victor Campanaret's hour record. And you can see him consuming a liquid and then spitting it out. So the theory is that the oil receptors and their exposure to carbohydrate via uh, mouthwash or an oral consumption, where it stays in contact with the taste buds long enough. It stimulates the pleasure and reward center of the brain, and that provides an actual performance enhancement. So I think if you're really into like zip racing and stuff or whatever, you can kind of take like a swig of something, hold it in your mouth a little bit, and then swallow it or spit it out afterwards. But you don't have to worry too much about weight, whereas Victor was worried about his watt per kilo the whole time he was over there. So I think that's why he spit it out, so he wouldn't have to take on any more liquids. That um, but mind. yeah, it's kind of cool. That, that seems crazy. That is, yeah, it does seem crazy, but hey, if it works, you know, uh, any any hack will work when you're trying to break a world record. I think that's down to just the the dopamine response in the brain is a is a great painkiller. So I think if you have dopamine in your brain at a high level, you can push into that pain threshold a little bit more. But I can't prove that by science, and nobody can at this point. But that's something that they're working on right now, which is kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, that kind of brings us back to the posts and kind of the, the rounding of the conversation. Where as long as you do stuff right, I think pre and during. Posts shouldn't really matter that much at all. But to give you some ideas, ideally ingesting 0.3 to 0.5 grams of protein per kilo with 1 to 1.5 grams of carbohydrate per kilo will improve the absorption and the recovery. Got it. Well, Shane, this has been very informative. I appreciate you doing all the research and um, giving us some guidelines to focus on uh, for making sure that we get the best out of whatever experience and we're looking for as far as our performance. Yeah. Our interview this week is with Chris Schwenker, physical therapist. He recently wrote a core workout for our team titled uh, Dirt. Dominance includes a ripped trunk. Chris and I got to chatting about a month ago on Discord when I was talking about a back injury and was remarking how I've only become fit at one thing, which is cycling. I really enjoyed my conversation with Chris and I hope you will as well. So here we go. Chris Schwenker. Chris, thanks for joining us today. How are you doing? Uh, my pleasure. It's an honor. Yeah. Well, uh, so tell, tell us where you're joining us from. I'm calling, uh, speaking to you from the east end of Long Island. East end of Long Island. Fantastic. How's the weather up there today? The weather is beautiful. Um, it's uh, a little bit humid, but nice here on the beach. A little bit, a little bit isolated for a climber on this uh this, in this flatland area. <laughs> so that's, that's your, your dominant um, aspect as a cyclist, as a climber? Yeah, and it's a little bit tough to train on sand dunes and, uh, and bridge overpasses. Yeah, I, I feel you. So all the better for having Zwift in our, our arsenal of tools to get, to get faster. Absolutely. Um, and I think, I think you and I have very similar attributes as, as far as cyclists. I see us 
both hanging out in, in similar places when we race together. So uh, for our audience, Chris is a physical therapist. Uh, he was actually a valedictorian of his high school and went on to Brandeis. And so tell us a little bit how you got interested in physical therapy. Um, well, I was always uh, into sports. Um, and I had a, uh, I was blessed with the ability to do fairly well in school. So I went to Brandeis, was able to get a full scholarship, which I was very fortunate because I came from very, um, meager upbringing and I wouldn't have been able to go to college if I hadn't worked to achieve that. So I just figured that the next logical step for me would be to go to medical school. So I got into medical school. Um, I was, uh, one tenth of 1% of the applicants to get in. Uh, to the school that I went to. And when I got there, I realized that it really wasn't for me. Um, so I took a leave of absence, which I'm basically still on, which I doubt that they'll take me back. But um, <laughs> then I I looked into um, other ways to um, get in the health field while also uh, remaining active uh, in sports-related things. And that's what drew me to physical therapy. And it's I'm so happy that I did. And I, I uh, love every minute of every day that I work. That's fantastic because I know a lot of us can't say that. You know, I definitely have a job that uh, pays the bills, but it's, it was never anything I'm passionate about. So uh, kudos for you for um, getting in and you own your own practice now, right? I absolutely do. I actually I own the practice. We have about um, we have about twenty employees now. It's not a huge practice, but uh, my wife is a registered nurse, um, and when my children were born, uh, she stopped practicing as a nurse. She was able to stay home. Um, which we all know that's the uh, the whole genesis of dirt. You know, I started training really early in the morning and that's where I found you guys um, because I didn't want to train in the evenings when the kids were home doing things. So um, she and I built up the practice together and now it's basically on cruise control. So I have the opportunity to um, sit back and, and watch my staff do things and uh, get the opportunity to work with my wife, which is also really special. That's fantastic. So in your practice, you work with a lot of athletes and specifically you, um, you are a bike racer and you work with competitive cyclists. And so I think that gives you a really great insight, both being um, somebody that does a lot of riding yourself. But what are the types of injuries and shortcomings that you see with cyclists? Well, there's, there's a, you know, there's a, a, a myriad of injuries that cyclists get. Um, and the majority of them are overuse injuries, which are based largely in improper positioning. Um, and I'm not talking about like acute injuries from crashes or, or you, know, you know, running your mountain bike into a tree. I'm talking about overuse injuries because, you know, in the course of a 50-mile ride, you might turn the pedals, you know, 100,000 times. So if you're not properly positioned, then that wears on you. So as cyclists, we're you know, in prolonged periods in one static position, and that's basically in a flex position. So your hip flexors get really tight. Um, your The musculature around your lower back becomes overly stretched. Um, your The hip rotators, um, such as the piriformis, get overworked. Uh, there are structures around your knee that if your saddle height isn't correct, um, become an issue. So there, there are a myriad of issues, and it's a matter of identifying them. Um, and then recommending the proper fit and going from there. Gotcha. And so, and that's really something that I, I noticed, uh, this recent injury, uh, was a, a lower back injury. And then it sort of gravitated around into my right hip crease. 
And, uh, you know, when I've gone to a physical therapist and a chiropractor, they were really digging into my psoas and my obliques and, and some of those muscles. So what's happening to those muscles that makes them so painful? Well, when you're maintaining a static position, and when I mean a, a static position, when we're, when we're riding, we're, we're hunched over, we're flexed. Um, so those muscles are shortening um, over time. And when you activate a muscle, it actually causes it to shorten um, at a more rapid rate. Mm. So, so what we are doing, in effect, by our positioning on the bike is um, basically training that muscle to be shorter and shorter and shorter. So if you don't actively stretch it when you get off the bike, if you don't actively do things to break up any, um, any adhesions, any, anything that's in there, such as you know, through rolling or otherwise, then those muscles are just going to get shorter and shorter and shorter while as the, the reciprocal muscles, the muscles on the other side, you know, the, the lumbar paraspinals, the, the hip flexors, and the hip rotators, those will get longer and longer um, and you'll create imbalances and that's where injuries occur. Gotcha. So one of the things that we see with a lot of our riders is they feel so much pressure to spend every minute on the bike that they can because they are time crunch parents. And, and so they may have seven hours a week and they don't want to spend an hour of their seven hour exercise window stretching and strengthening. What would you have to say to them or what are some of the exercises that you would have them do uh, that don't take a lot of time, but they could help with some of those um, propensities to repetitive use uh, injuries? Well, I, I'm certainly um, from the same mind frame as that. When I first started cycling, I just figured that the longer and harder I rode, the better I would get. And I eventually plateaued. I burned out. Right. I was, you know, extremely upset about it. Um, and the best advice I got was to speak to a coach. And the coach basically has taught me how important recovery is. That recovery is as equally as important as your workouts. And I, I joke that my coach basically protects me from myself. You know, he's there to, to make sure that I don't do anything stupid, right? So prevention <laughs> and recovery sure. are the, Yeah, that makes sense. You know, so prevention and recovery are, are essential. So when you say you don't have time, you know, if you don't have 15 minutes a day to maintain through core training, through stretching, through rolling, and that causes you to spend one day, two day, three day, four day, five days, or a week, or two weeks, or a month off the bike, then are you really saving any time? You know, so what mm. I recommend to people is you set up a core training program, you set up a daily stretching program, and when you streamline it, it can be, you can do that in 10 or 15 minutes. And that's what I do every day. It's not like you have to do an hour of it after you train. It's just a matter of being consistent because consistency is where you're going to get your gains. And they're going to be minimal gains, um, which for a lot of us is basically all that we can ask for. Right. Now you wrote um, a workout program for us, Dirt. Dominance includes a ripped trunk. And so I've looked over this thing and done some of the exercise on it and it's good stuff and it doesn't take a lot of time. Now, one thing I do notice with these types of routines is the more you get into them, the faster you can get through them uh, without having to take long rest from moving from one exercise to the other. And you don't have to look down at your piece of paper for every single um, bit of nuance that's been put into the workout. You just sort of flow through it faster over time. And I agree. And, you know, I've been doing it forever because I've, you know, eventually, you know, through my profession and, and having a, a whole host of injuries, which 
as a physical therapist, I'm uh, almost um, embarrassed to say, but I never stop. I work through everything. Mm. Like that's just my that's just my mentality. So I will I will work through the pain and I will figure out what is the best formula for me. And that's what I have figured out that I need to do um, at least fifteen minutes of stretching and core strengthening after each training session in order to maintain the the level of uh, fitness and ability to, you know, keep pushing the pedals every day. Gotcha. So what are your thoughts about like sort of a, a general yoga workout that maybe, you know, there's the internet is full of 10 minute yoga videos uh, versus something uh, more specific for cyclists? I don't know too much about you. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know too much about yoga because that was never something that I got into. You know, I'm a, I'm a you know, a, a science-based empirical thinker. So, you know, yoga, you know, wasn't something that I was ever attracted to. I was more um, inclined to just set up a stretching routine mm. and to to streamline it and to just do it every day. And through and when I first started doing it, I was as tight as uh, to use a Long Island phrase as a, as a clam's ass. <laughs> um, but I've, I've since then. Um, become very flexible and I'm extremely flexible now. It's just a matter of making minimal gains and over time they you uh they become maximal gains and it that's some of the best advice that I could give. Gotcha. Well Chris, I really appreciate you writing that workout for our team and also um being somebody to bounce some questions off of as I've been going through this uh recovery from my back injury. You know, I had dry needling this morning and so that's a, a fun and painful experience. But I think that um, your advice here uh, really will resonate with a lot of our athletes. So, yeah, thanks for joining us today. I hope it does. And I want to tell the, you know, everybody on the team, if they ever have any specific questions, that you know, we have a number of different ways that we can reach each other. And I'm more than happy to help out. All right. That sounds great. Well, thank you for joining us. And we will see you. Uh, I will see you online here in a couple of days, I'm sure. My pleasure. My pleasure, Ken. I really enjoyed it. I hope you enjoyed the interview, and thanks again to Chris Schwanker for taking the time to be on NGP. Chris and Shane, thanks, and great catching up with you as well. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Never Going Pro. Ride on, and I will see you in Watopia. Mm-hmm.